The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 103 for the week of February 4th, 2019. Yeah, and uh, if you're listening to this, then you know who won the Super Bowl. <laughs> if you give me a call right now, I would appreciate that. Um, Alex, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but this episode actually marks our our second anniversary. I guess it'd be yeah, our second anniversary of the podcast. That is pretty cool. It's hard to believe we've been doing this for two yeah. whole years. The, the first one dropped on uh, the 6th of February, 2017. Two years I will never get back. <laughs> two years of your life that uh, you could have probably found something better to do. You could have by now learned a foreign language. Uh, you you could I speak could be, English fluently, <laughs> barely, barely. Uh, but yeah, that's good. So uh, I could probably have learned a couple, and you know, maybe have lived abroad, done a lot yeah. of things by now. But yeah. we've got this instead. So yeah. well, there you go. Uh, and so, community, this is Alex's tribute to you that uh, <laughs> that he's given up learning Mandarin, which is really his true passion. Yes, and but since we're doing this, uh, we think that all of you should participate with us. And one of the ways that you could do that is through our Slack channel. We've got this great Slack channel. We've got nearly 800 people in there. And uh, there's lots of great discussion that goes on. So check out the website, colorado-security.com. You can uh, you can find the link there and lots of other stuff on the website as well. Come come chat with us in the in the Slack channel. Awesome. Uh, we also would love it if you if you want to get the show notes delivered into your inbox every week. You know, not only do we do we have this great banter, but we also write this stuff down. So if you want to check out the links to the stories we talk about, if you want to have the links to the jobs that we um, that we go through, and of course the events that in, in the area, those are all in the show notes, and you can have those in your inbox every Sunday afternoon. Also, if you're not signed up for those, you know you don't know that Rob White writes a uh, a witty little headline at the top of the show notes every week. So you should go in there, you, sign up so that you get them, so that you get, you know what that is each week. And, um, and if I don't get somebody who comments on my witty headline every week, I'm pretty depressed. And, exactly. and I say most weeks I don't get any comments at all. So if if you want to contribute to Rob's mental health, please subscribe to the mailing list and read the witty headline. And you can also uh, subscribe to the podcast to be downloaded in your favorite listener and, and rate us out there too if you want to help out. Exactly. And uh, we do have some other ways that you can support the show. We have a Patreon campaign. Uh, if you're willing to contribute some uh, some of your hard-earned money to help us support this, this effort. And if not, we would love it if you just told a friend. Uh, spread the word about the podcast and the website and all the other things that we're doing at Colorado Equal Security. All right, let's jump into the news. Alex, did you know that the majority of North American yaks live in Colorado? I did not know that, Rob. Uh, what's a yak? So I was going to say, do you know what a yak was, right? Uh, a yak is basically a long-haired cow. It's a, kind of the cousin to the cow that uh, it looks very similar, but um, it's different. It is different. Um, there was an article this week talking about the stock show and how partially because of the stock show, Colorado is that center for yak farming in the U.S. Uh, yaks apparently are a little bit like beef, but uh, much leaner and, you know, a little bit like bison, but not as sweet. Yeah. You know, another thing I found out as a part of the stock show this year, which, you know, I've been here for 18 years. I probably should have known this previously, but uh, if you're a, you know, a supporter of all things kind of traditionally Colorado, you don't take down your Christmas lights until after the stock show is done. That uh, that, that is kind of the tradition in, in here in Denver. Yeah. So um, if you're not out on your roof taking your Christmas lights down this week, then shame on you. Yeah. Some of us might have done it too early and, and blown the whole thing. Exactly. Uh, next, uh, RTD launches an autonomous shuttle near the airport. 
It's funny, you know, when, when I think of, of shuttles, you know, I'm thinking of, of, of basically of a bus. There's a picture in the article of the shuttle and it's it's kind of like the Mini Cooper of buses, right? <laughs> it almost looks like a smart car. It's yeah. not very big. I don't know how many people can get in there, but it's not very many. I, I want to say it was like 12 or something like oh my that. Gosh. Maybe 10 to 12. You'd be all over each other in that little, yeah. little thing. So anyway, um, in conjunction with Panasonic, who coincidentally has an office out near the airport, uh, the uh, RTD is testing this autonomous shuttle. Um, it has a, a pretty short loop, but a loop around there that goes from the uh, the A-line light rail station, you know, to some of the buildings that are that are right around there. So if you really if you want to ride it, you could just go and, and get off the train at that. I think it's the 67th, 68th Avenue um, station and, and ride that autonomous shuttle. I think they're going to be testing it for like a year or something like that. So lest you be afraid that this is taking away a job, don't be, don't worry. There's actually someone standing on the shuttle to make sure everything works. Okay. But that person is not driving. Yeah. It sounded like they could override the controls if they need to, in case of an emergency. Anyway, this is, this is the future that we've all been looking forward to. And and I can't wait to get to the point where I don't have to drive and I don't have to have pay someone else to drive me either. Uh, next story we have is that Gusto, um, which is a payroll startup company that's, I, I don't think that Denver's their headquarters, but it's basically their biggest office. They actually just leased uh, 60,000 more square feet for a big expansion here in Denver. Yeah, there are like a lot of the, the San Francisco startups that have put offices out here. Um, you know, their headquarters is technically still in San Francisco, I believe. But the uh, the bulk of their employees are in Denver. And as we can see by the expansion, they're going to make that even bigger. When they announced opening an office here in Denver, uh, I want to say it's two years ago now, uh, they said that they were going to try and get as many as 1,000 people in Denver. Um, and I think they only have you know, 200, 250 in yeah. San Francisco or something like that. So the... the- article here says that they will have more than a thousand with this new expansion. Obviously they're not committing to certain numbers, but uh, pretty cool. Uh, on other startup news, uh, Twilio announced the closing of the acquisition of SendGrid. One interesting piece of uh, to note there is that the original price of the acquisition was $2 billion, but by the time it closed, it was a $3 billion acquisition uh, because of the, uh, the rising tide of both stocks. Yeah, I think uh, basically, you know, Twi- uh, excuse me, SendGrid had gone public uh, about, call it 16 months ago, 15 months ago, something like that. Um, and their their public price uh, at the close of the deal would depend, you know, would determine how much above that they, they, they would be selling. Basically, you know, they're paying a 20% premium or something like that over the public price. So, you know, the price went up significantly um, for Twilio to buy them. However, Twilio's own stock had gone up during that same time. And since they were doing a stock purchase of, of SendGrid, you know, it all kind of canceled each other out. Yep. Anyway, big deal. I, I, I think it's fair to say that these are no longer startups. Now SendGrid does not <laughs> right. get to be called a startup yep. after you go public and then get acquired by you know a, a massive other public company. Agreed. It sounds like SendGrid will uh, continue to operate as a, a separate company in, in you know in the name, but will be uh, you know a subsidiary of Twilio. Yeah. Uh, so next story, whenever someone asks me what's my favorite episode of our podcast or favorite interview of the podcast, you know, there's a few that that kind of kick around for me, but you know, one of my very favorites is when I got to sit down with the CEO of of Conversant, which is a local ethics and compliance company, and and heard him tell his story. Um, you know, 
just peripherally, very tangentially related to security, but his story was just really compelling. Um, so I was excited to see this this week. There's an article about the chief ethics officer at Conversant um, that was in uh, the, the the business journal, really talking about her career path and uh, recommend folks who are interested in knowing more about that company and, and hearing those stories. Number one, go listen to the old podcast from about a year ago with Patrick Quinlan. But number two, maybe take a look at this article. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, next, uh, an announcement from ThreatX. Uh, they have hired Chris Brads Eunice as their new chief product officer. Uh, Chris was previously at Logarithm, uh, where she ran. She was not the head of product, but was one of the the higher ups in product at Logarithm, and has now left and gone over to ThreatX. Uh, so, congratulations to her. Uh, there's a yeah. few details in the the press release here, but really, it's you know it's mostly just touting ThreatX and how they're going to be doing some awesome stuff in the future. Yeah, uh, ThreadX has had a lot of hires recently. I know they raised some money. Uh, it, it does feel to me like they've got a a really nice um, momentum right now, where they brought in the new the, the CFO and the, the, the chief product, uh, marketing officer, now chief product officer. Uh, they have really staffed up. I've heard they made some really good hires in other places as well. Um, you know, it, it's nice to see that momentum building, and, and hopefully, this is really the year for them to to take off. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, next story here is Swimlane, another one of our favorite startups in town, uh, has started their own podcast, which I, I guess could make it you know, in contention to be the second best security podcast in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that anyone will ever, ever be the, the first best other than us. But, right. you know, at, at least there's more, you know, more of an ecosystem right. out there, more choices for people. As long as we're the ones doing the ratings, I think we're, I think we're in pretty good shape on that number one slot. For sure. Uh, but their podcast is, is called Listen, it's called Listen Up, right? Um, yep. And it's, it's focused on doing, you know, it's focused on security operations and then really talking about how you can use orchestration, automation, um, and response to, to improve on your, your, your operations practices. Yeah. And I have to say, I have signed up as a listener, but have not started listening yet. So maybe I'll report back in future weeks about, uh, you know, whether it really deserves to be the second best podcast or not. Uh, next, uh, Ping Identity had a blog post this week on the Modlishka phishing tool in MFA and, you know, what is that really talking about? Yeah. So Madlishka is a, if you got to GitHub, you can actually look at the code. Uh, it's a, it's a proxy that you can use basically um, to intercept traffic as, it, as someone is authenticating. You know, if you're going to set up a phishing site that goes to, to Gmail and you want to capture someone's credentials, well, what it'll do is it'll not only capture the credentials, it'll also capture any any uh, re request for a um, multi-factor authentication. Um, and once, you know, once it captures that, it'll pass it through and log in. And then once they're logged in, you know, using your token, they'll actually go in and do things like, you know, adding an app, app specific password or whatever it takes to get persistence in the yep. account. So this is a, a new, it's not, you know, this is a hypothetical threat that's always existed. However, now we actually see free code out on the web that allows you to do it. It's easy to set up your own POC if you're willing to burn a few hours doing it. Um, so most kind of normal, you know, uh, two-factor methods are su are suspect for this. Um, you know, one-time passwords, the the push to authenticate, the you know SMS, all of these things are, are really suspect for it. Really, the only one that that's out there right now that's not. Uh, vulnerable to it would be FIDO2 or U2F, which is um, when you have a hardware token that is bound to a specific website, it would, you know, it would notice that this, um, that this a proxy exists in place and it would, it would break the authentication. Yeah. I think this is just sort of the next, next step in attackers, you know, upping their game, right. As you know, it was just traditional username and password. It was easy to throw up a phishing site and capture someone's credentials and then go use them. 
you know, now with MFA, they've said, oh, well, we're getting less success. We, we need to do something different. And I think, you know, anytime someone is proxying your traffic and can sniff what you're doing, um, they're going to be able to defeat pretty much any security control that you have. Yeah. So scary stuff. Yep. Uh, next logarithm has a blog this week on the road to scalable cloud analytics. Yeah. So uh, I thought this was a pretty interesting article. Um, it's a very long and in-depth article. Uh, not necessarily, I mean, it is about logarithm, but less about security, but more about them developing uh, some of the products that, th- that they have. They, they recently announced their uh, cloud AI product, which is um, sort of a user, uh, user, uh, Authentic or not authentication, user behavior analysis uh, platform, and they developed that in the cloud. And it really, the article talks through the life cycle that they went through. You know, sort of first starting out with an, an initial architecture and figuring out the problems that they had and how are they going to do this in the cloud. Lots and lots of detail in there about their thought process and what they went through to get to the architecture that they ultimately have today. So, if developing in the cloud is something that is interesting to you, I think this is a, a really good article to read. Awesome, thanks, Alex. Uh, our, our last story this week is a, a blog post by Webroot, uh, Ashley Stewart over there, um, talking about what they're trying to do or one of the ways that they're contributing to fixing the, the cybersecurity skills gap. So they have some stats in this article talking about how employers perceive this gap. And over the last four years, it's gone you know, from 40% to 48% to 52% to, I think this last year, 53% or something like that of employ- employers recognize that there is a gap uh, for them being able to hire cybersecurity folks. So they've uh, been partnering with the University of California, San Diego on um, some coding challenges that are really meant to help develop the skills, the technical skills, scripting development skills that would be necessary for that next generation of security folks. Yeah. And, you know, they had lots of quotes from the students that went through the challenges, you know, about how beneficial it was to them to sort of use these their skills in these real world problems, you know, uh, figuring out solutions, that, that sort of thing. It was also nice that they, they talked in there that, you know, for the folks that that won the, the coding challenges, they were they were invited to apply for an internship. So, you know, pretty good stuff there. Right. Uh, well, I think it's nice to have the opportunity to get an internship. You might also want to throw them a t-shirt or something like that. You uh, know? I'm sure that there's some other prizes uh, Ashley, too. Ashley, that's my, my uh, little nudge to you. Maybe a little swag for those folks. My thought was, hey, if you're going to win the coding challenge, maybe you should just give them an internship instead of you know making them apply for it. But hey, what do I know? Well, that is it for news this week. Let's go ahead and move over to the Slack message of the week. A big thanks to Andre Gata, who has been sponsoring this for us for quite a while now. Andre, thanks again for your support. The winner of the Slack message of the week every week um, gets something from the Colorado Equal Security Swag Store. Um, so uh, this week, we get to recognize our friend Rock Lambros. Rock has uh, uh, posted this week some news. He actually is the one who broke the news for us about the Apple FaceTime bug you know, in the last week. And we don't need to go into all the details, but there was a, a relatively easy to exploit vulnerability where you could basically make somebody's phone answer and, and get all the audio and video from them. Exactly. Um, not a not a super technical bug, but one that, that has a whole lot of impact. Yeah. And uh, Apple disabled that group FaceTime feature and is putting out a fix apparently. But congrats to Rock. Uh, thanks for participating in the Slack channel. We'll get you in touch with Andre and you can get your Colorado Equal Security swag. Uh, next, we will go into our events. As a reminder, we do have a calendar of events on the website. And man, I'll tell you, it just feels to me like we're, we're continually getting more and more activities and uh, things that you have uh, you know, on the calendar that you guys can do in the area. So uh, do make sure you go out there and look for what's coming up. Uh, this, this week here on the 5th, we have SecureSet doing one of their Hacking 101 uh, events that's focused on social engineering. 
On the 8th, the Colorado Technology Association is doing their SheTech event. It's sold out, too. I just saw Ooh, that. Jeez. Uh, if you didn't already get tickets, uh, it might be too late. However, you know, I have it on good authority. If you just show up and crash the place, you'll probably get in. Uh, next, on the 12th, SecureSet is doing one of their expert series with Scott Hogg talking about encryption on AWS. Nice. On the 12th and the 13th, ISSA Denver is doing their February chapter meetings. On the 14th, uh, Valentine's Day, very romantic. If you want to take your, your sweetie over to Isaka Denver, um, they are having their February meeting. On the 15th, SecureSet is doing a capture the flag uh, called Cybersecurity Hackathon. So Alex, generally we stop at two weeks out, but we're going to go just one event further to talk about something that's very near and dear to our hearts. The, uh, the ISSA uh, Denver's Women in Security Special Interest Group that has been going on for, man, how long has it been now? It's been two years. Uh, it's been over a year, maybe getting close to two years. Yeah. I think maybe two years in April. That, that sounds plausible. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, on the 19th, it is the February meeting of the Women in Security Group, and... They've reached the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, they, they finally ran out of people to speak, and so Rob and I are going to be speaking at the meeting. Yeah, so we'd love it if you guys came out. I think this is a fantastic group to support. You do not have to be a woman to be there. You have to be someone who wants to help in, in, increase diversity in the in the community and help women, you know, really get more women into the industry, and, that, and that's going to be one of the focuses there. But uh, we'd love to see you there at the event, and we'll be talking about all things Colorado security. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to jobs. Uh, yeah. This week, there are still some ping identity jobs. Yeah, I got two jobs from, from my organization. We're hiring a manager of security operations and engineering. If you are the right person to take some processes and help mature those and help us really get well integrated with the rest of the organization, um, I'd like to hear from you. We're also hiring a GRC analyst who's going to be there to help us with policies, risk assessments, um, ISO and SOC certifications, vendor risk management, business continuity, disaster recovery, all that good stuff. Once again, go to pingidentity.com, uh, look at the career section, or just go to our show notes and click on the links in there. If you are not interested in working at Ping Identity, Incana is hiring an IT analyst intern. So this is for those people who do not have any experience. We might call this an entry-level opportunity for those who are interested. Yeah, and I think uh, this is that time when we're going to start seeing lots of posts for summer internships. Yeah, uh, Platform SH is hiring a security and compliance engineer. Arapahoe County is looking for an IT cybersecurity analyst. Marathon Petroleum is hiring an ITOT cybersecurity framework specialist. Wow. Uh, the U.S. federal government is hiring an information technology specialist. The U.S. federal government. That's pretty broad. It is pretty broad. I'm trying, like to remember, NSA. trying to remember when, <laughs> when I read the, the posting um, if they gave a department or not, but it was listed as U.S. federal government. And this is actually a, a fairly entry-level job as well. Uh, next, Raytheon is hiring a cybersecurity engineer intern. Um, SCL, uh, SCL Health, uh, formerly Exempla, is hiring a security analyst too. This actually reports to our friend Grant Sturgis over there. Um, this is someone who's going to be a general purpose security analyst focused on uh, uh, projects, technologies, a variety of tasks, but they do use an ELK-based SIM. So if you're used to Elastic, uh, Elastic uh log stash and cabana this would be a good opportunity for you um, and really just uh, helping get security operations improved over there and then finally pdc energy is looking for a security grc specialist awesome and, and so that's the end of jobs um i think we wanted to spend just a moment saying that the rmisc 
uh, keynote t- speakers have been announced. Um, I actually looked at the website. I didn't see them all up there, but I know we have finalized it all, right? Uh, I think we are uh, waiting for maybe one contract still to be signed, but for the most part, um, they are they are finalized. So go check out the website for that, rmisc.org. Um, before we jump into those actual keynotes, the uh, also the call for papers is closing mm-hmm. this week. So if you are interested in speaking, please go uh, put your... Uh, your submission in. Uh, we would love to have you come speak at the conference. Uh, we are, as always, looking for sponsors. So if you are a company that is uh, interested in reaching out to the Colorado security community, come sponsor the conference. And finally, uh, registration is open. If you want to attend, uh, go to the website and sign up. Awesome. Well, I think, you know, w- why don't we just go dive into the keynotes in a different week? Cause we're going to, we're running a little bit late on news right now. Sounds good. Uh, we do have a feature interview this week with Stieg Ravdahl. I sat down with C- Stieg just a couple weeks ago. Um, he has been in security in Colorado for a long time. He runs his own company and uh, really helps multiple other companies in town with their security programs. It was a really fun conversation. Awesome. I look forward to hearing it. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We will look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Thanks Rob. This is Rob Winter, Chief Information Security Officer at Boulder Community Health. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado Security Professionals, by Colorado Security Professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is Rob Reck, and I am sitting today with Stieg Ravdahl. Stieg, uh, it's good to get to sit down, and, and we've been talking for like an hour before we recorded. Uh, I think that, that that footage would have been the most valuable for the rest <laughs> of the world to listen to. <laughs> uh, but let's uh, let's start off by by telling a story here. I, I understand that you pronounce you excuse me proposed to your wife in, in kind of a, a unique place and uh, you know uniquely. So maybe explain to me how that happened. Yeah. So um, I've been interested in flying pretty much my whole life, and uh, when I started my own company, I also decided okay, it's time to get my pilot's license. So I went out and got my pilot's license. And then um, when I met my wife, the first thing I did with her, I mean, we had been dating for about two weeks as I took her flying. I was like, I got to test this. You can't, can't have someone, uh, you know, with you that doesn't like flying if, if that's what you like. So, so we took off flying and that was all good. Um, and then about uh, maybe another four weeks in, we actually went, we flew down to a dirt strip uh, down in, uh, in uh, the, uh, the, what is it called there? I call it the Alamosa Valley, but it's the, what is that area down by Alamosa? And like Southwest, the, like yeah. Durango. So it, it's, it's right by the, it's right by the sand dunes. Yeah, okay, sure. So we flew down, there's a place there called the Sand Dunes Hot Springs, and they have a dirt strip. Hmm. So, you know, she- So you're not flying from Centennial to Jeffco airports, you're- you're landing in, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, if there's tar under or concrete under my wheels, I'm unhappy. I like <laughs> it when it's like bumpy and dirt and rocks are flying. Um, so anyway, we flew down there. This was a real test with her, and, and it was one of my earlier trips into this kind of flying. Um, but we camped for a couple of days. Um, you know, I had a rented plane, so I was nervous. We had some nasty weather around, and I was concerned my plane's going to be flipped. You know, when I got back out there, and, and I don't think I was uh, essentially legally, uh, you know, or, or per the rental place, uh, I probably shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. But you know, you do what you do. So, so that was kind of my foray. And then about a year later. Uh, we flew out to a place called Dolores Point. Uh, Dolores Point is right on the border, really, of, of uh, Utah and Colorado, uh, on the Colorado side. Um, it's near a place called Gateway, Colorado, which some people may have uh, been to or heard of. Palisades. There, it's you're basically in a rock canyon. Where the peaches come from? Yeah, there's a there's a resort down there called Gateway, Colorado. Mm-hmm. 
that has like an auto museum and pretty neat neat place. But anyway, we flew out to Dolores Point and, and it's about a 3,000 feet drop from the Dolores Point down into the valley. Uh, about an eight hour hike and that's where I asked my wife to, to marry me. That's awesome. So and, how, how did yeah. she, before we get to the proposal, how did she like the flying? So uh, it, it, she was, the first time we went out flying, you know, we, we hit a little bit of turbulence and, and I could tell she didn't really like that. But as we took more and more trips, uh, you know, she, she started liking it. And actually bef between the proposal and, and this trip, we had been up to Idaho a couple of times. Uh, we went to a place called Sulphur Creek in Idaho. It's mm -hmm. a one way in strip. Um, horses running around. Uh, you know, we, we had a cabin. You know, they give you three square meals. Uh, beautiful place and, and all this kind of stuff I think really it was just starting to grow yeah. on her um, and in fact uh, you know I'm kind of jumping ahead here but but she's now actually uh, three four or five days she's taking her instrument rating because she's gonna be an airline pilot she's, Holy smokes, yeah, like she's gotten bitten by this pilot. bug yeah yeah yeah. Wow. A, a year ago she got her pilot's uh, license she did that in three months and uh, she's been working on getting, you know, time and and uh, and whatnot. So we go out sometimes flying two planes. Mm -hmm. I'll fly in one, and she'll fly in the other. So you're, Kids you're, are you're mine. spending time together apart. Flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, we flew out to Dolores Point, and uh, you know, I kind of made. Typically, when I land at these dirt strips, I always walk and look for big rocks, look yeah. for divots that I didn't necessarily see when I landed, so just, just so I know what's there for the takeoff. And I sort of went off, you know, kind of busying stuff, but I pulled out a ring. Got down on my knees and I videotaped this. So I have a little video on my yeah. Facebook page as well with, with this whole thing. But yeah, and she said yes. And, you know, the alternative was an eight-hour hike down to the valley and, you know, get some sort of bus out of there. So I, I was going to ask that question. <laughs> if, if she said no, you know, what's the... What's the plan? <laughs> it's a pretty miserable flight back together, or, or, or apparently not, I guess, in this case. No, no, it yeah. worked out pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a great story. Thanks for starting that, uh, that way. I do have one thing. I, I not too long ago, had the opportunity to get on a on a, on a seaplane. I got to land Ooh. I got to land in a river, uh, which was... I haven't even done that. Was, I dream of that. So yeah. I, I, and I did get to sit in the, the co-pilot seat and, yeah. you know, Kind of sort of fly a little bit for yeah. part of it. And yeah. Pretty pretty cool situation. Where and what kind of plane was it? Do you recall? Um, it was in Alaska. It was okay. a rural spot in Alaska. Nice. Um, I could show you a picture of the plane, yeah. but yeah. I, I don't remember the, the, yeah. the kind of plane. Yeah. But it was really old. We'll say yeah. like 1950s, beaver? maybe. A beaver? I'll show you a picture. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Nice. Moving, moving us ahead here. Let's talk, <laughs> you know, let's get into to, you know your background and all that. Uh, so where are you from originally? Steve so, Robdell, that sounds like a Mexican name, is that right? Yeah, that is, yeah, right. <laughs> Mexico Sar City is where I was born, yeah. Uh, no, I'm Norwegian, uh, born in Norway, uh, spent the first five years of my life there. Um, and then my, my dad's an engineer, and uh, he got an opportunity to, to do water and sanitation development in East Africa. So five years old, we moved to Kenya, and uh, over the next several Kenya. years. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. very different. <laughs> Did Very you have different. lions around in your oh, yeah. in your neighborhood? Yeah. Did you see Did you see lions when you lived in Kenya? Oh yeah, many Holy many smokes. times. Yeah. Like in the wild. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. No, you know, safari is what you do there. So you go on trips and and whatnot. But I've, I've I've camped. Uh, you know, where uh, you hear something around your tent at night, and then the next day you. You, you get out of your tent and, and some of the guy wires and stuff have been knocked down and these big, I call them sandal prints, but they're elephant 
prints. And yeah. You've had elephants that came right yeah. by your tent. So Steve night. is holding his hands about, about yeah. two feet apart from each other, showing <laughs> me how big these footprints are. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, and you're kind of hoping that they're not going to step onto the onto the, the tent that you're in. Well, and that, it's just the tent's a tent. not going to do yeah. a lot of good. Yeah. It's not, no. And and you'll hear lions at night and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. We, we used to do these traditional trips uh, around the holidays. My dad and some of the other folks he worked with would kind of get a bunch of people together, and we were probably 20 to 30 people, multiple Land Rovers and total Land Cruisers kind of stuff. But we'd go to the Serengeti and, and celebrate the holidays there, and, and we would get a pig carcass and uh, basically hang it in a tree, uh, more or less right next to the campsite. Uh, and then at night, a leopard would show up, and you basically have the cars, you know, pointing towards the tree. And when you hear something up, it flip it on, and there you got a leopard on that carcass up in the tree. And yeah. aren't leopards like the most dangerous of all the animals out there? Actually, the most dangerous uh, is a buffalo, the water buffalo. What? So, so these things are, are rather aggressive. It doesn't take too much to kind of tick them off, and they'll they'll knock over your car. I mean, that's, Gosh. yeah, more people die. Actually, I should say more people die by hippos. But but if you're like, driving around where lions are, yeah. it, it's honestly the buffalo. If you're in the car, yeah. the buffalo is a, is buffalo a, is a is risk. Actually, lion's probably not a risk yeah. to a car. Yeah. Not really. So most cars, when you travel around in Africa, in those, in those parks will have a roof hatch. So you can kind of stick your head up, particularly if you're shooting pictures yeah. and stuff. Uh, they'll have that. So there have been incidents where people have been kind of out of the hatch, right next to a lion and, and they've attacked and leopards too have kind of gotten into cars and that can Ugh. get pretty ugly um but but really your your buffalo is is uh is more of a concern I, i've been on my feet you know with elephants uh my dad has many more stories than i have but he's walked through a, a pride of lions with all but a pen you know because he's been out checking out some well or some water situation trying to get back to the car and there comes a pride of lion and, oh my and, God. and you know he said what did I do? I pulled out my ballpoint pen and just continued walking like we're there. We're supposed to be there. The Maasai and many other tribes, they live like this. You know, they they do have some security, you know, for a night and what have yeah. you. But, I mean, it's just, it's sort of part of, part of life there. Wow. And then a lot of the stories you hear are, you know, people just doing stupid stuff. And the Westerners come and want to pet, you know, animals. Pet and a lion. Pet a lion. You know, I've seen it on Discover yeah. Channel, so I'm going to go out there, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, don't do that. Um, but the hippo is probably the one that kills the most people because mm -hmm. of the proximity to where people are. Yeah. So well, uh, <laughs> super interesting. You got to grow up in Kenya. Uh, so how long were you there? Uh, to, uh, so Kenya and Tanzania. I went to boarding school in Tanzania. Uh, my dad spent 25 year, but uh, 25 years there. I, I was there for a total of nine years. Over between five years old and 18 was the last time I lived there. Okay. And so then my, yeah. what came? You were there uh, until 18. What, then where'd you go? Went back to Norway, um, finished up kind of high school in Norway, and then went to university, spent two years at the University of Bergen, which is on the west coast of Norway. Okay. And uh, had a real desire to, to study marine biology, actually since I was a little kid. So yeah. in, uh, on the coast in Kenya, there's a, there's a town called Mombasa. That's where kind of everyone goes. Um, and the reef is, you know, about two miles wide. And so I spent, you know, six, seven, eight years old, I would walk around on that reef and, and you know, bring a tub with me and, and pick up, you know, little fish and octopus mm. and eels and whatever I could and make these little aquaria. And, and of course, you know, some of these poor animals would eventually succumb to the lack of oxygen and the temperature going up in a very shallow little tub I had. Right. But, uh, but regardless, um, that's where I kind of got the passion for, mm. for marine biology. And that's what I wanted to do. And that um, 
took me through two years of university in Norway, and then I decided, you know, hey, I'm, I'm in school. It's a great time to see the world. You know, where can I go? Mm. Australia was one of those places I really wanted to go, you know, Great Barrier Reef, right. all this kind of stuff. Right. But it's really hard to actually go to Australia. They have so many restrictions and policies and stuff like that. So I, I didn't make that work. And then it was really U.S. was was the other alternative. And I applied to schools in the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, uh, Hawaii, and Florida. And Florida was what I could really afford, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Guam was Guam was uh, would have been really interesting, but I got a student loan through the Norwegian government and. Guam didn't really have accredited schools that I could mm. get uh, loans for. They're just not kind of at that level. Yeah. And so anyway, it took me to Florida. And, Where'd you um, go in Florida? So I moved to Melbourne on the East Coast to go to what was then called Florida Institute of Technology. Uh, it changed to Florida Tech uh, the year I got there, and I think it's actually changed back to mm. Florida Institute of Technology. But it's a private school. They were on a quarter system. Um, it got really expensive, so I eventually transferred to USF. Okay. And there I finished my bachelor and then got a master's in ecology. Wow. So, and then of course, I, I barely even finished that and I was already, you know, hacking away, building networks, doing computers, and, uh, and I got a job. I got a job paying more than my professor and it was like that was the end of my biology career. So did you get your job there in Florida? And what I was did. It? I had it all the three weeks until I got an offer. This was in the 90s. Okay. Uh, so I had a, a job you for about graduated three weeks. with your, your ecology degree. I wasn't finished with that yet. Okay, you're, you're still going. Okay. And then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I got a job uh, for a company called Romac International Consultancy. Uh, I have no idea really. I've actually looked at to see what happened to them, but I haven't figured out where they got gobbled up. Um, but uh, very quickly there was a job offer in DC area, and so we moved to DC. Uh, you know, double your salary kind of stuff that you crazy stuff you did in the nineties. And so I, I went to work for a software developer there, small, I was employee number nine. Uh, we got to about 75 before you know, we got the wrong investors and all this kind of stuff and it started imploding. And that was really where my cybersecurity career hmm. started. Um, as, as an IT guy there, I was responsible for uh, uh, firewalls and VPNs and, and whatnot. So when I left, uh, and I had taken on, you know, it's a small software company, I was the, uh, I was the customer service manager at one point, director of IT at another point. You know, I did our training. I developed a bunch of those kinds of things. And how long for were the you company. there? Uh, four years. Okay. I think I was. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good run. Oh yeah, you know, it was, it was a good run. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but eventually, um, uh, it was kind of just you know the writing was on the wall. Uh, we kind of went through the the, the dot com bust or boom or okay. whatever. And well, those uh, are pretty different. <laughs> the, the boom and the bust are pretty different. Well, we, you went through the you went through the we, boom to get from nine to seventy five, and then the bust. Huh? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and and again, it was sort of you know eventually the company got sold to some company that really just services contracts. You know, so it's sort of sad ending yeah. of this. And we had some really cool software. Uh, big big uh, uh, the, the software we had was you could take a browser and basically look at an engineering diagram. So if you were used to using, you know, Pro-E or AutoCAD or something like that to view diagrams, you could use a browser. So that's the difference of $2,000 per user in terms of licensing costs. Mm. There's nothing for the browser, $2,000 for every Pro-E station mm. or AutoCAD station back then. And so we could come in, take all their diagrams, you know, basically we put them in a tiled uh, uh, GIF 
essentially in the browser. Some really cool technology that the, the smart guys who started the company had developed. And then we very early on had an alliance with Xerox engineering systems that sold these large, you know, super large format printers and yeah. folders and everything. So we were this nice piece of software that could now make these tools accessible uh, or these uh, pictures accessible to all sorts of different departments. Uh, and, and a lot of cool things kind of came out of that. But, but um, you know, there, there was an end to this. There were investors sure. and directions that we probably shouldn't have taken because they didn't know what they were doing. So anyway, th that, that's on end. And at that point in time, I decided I wasn't just an IT person. I was really in cybersecurity. I, I'd already gotten my CSSP. I think okay. I got that in like in 99 or 2000. So you just defined yourself, you know, I'm now, I'm taking this path, right? Yeah, and I looked for those kinds of jobs. Sure. So again, I was, I was in a good position. I had a job and I was looking, and so I ended up going to consulting. Uh, ENY had just uh, gone from being ENY to Capgemini, Ernst & Young, CGENY, mm -hmm. and I ended up getting a job there in their security practice. Awesome. And, uh, and Still based out of DC? Yeah, I was based out of DC, but I never worked in DC, right? I was on a plane, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I hop on a plane, go all over, and you know, anytime you're in a, in a consulting environment, I think you learn a lot, particularly if you think about the, the security, you know, information security as we call it back then, um, you're typically not doing very long and large projects. So I had you know, contemporaries in a company that um, were focused on, let's say, imagery or something like that, and they'd stick with you know, a hospital for two, three years, you know, yeah. embedded essentially. But uh, the security team, I call the smoke jumpers, would kind of come into an account, do pen tests, risk assessments, you know, regulatory type stuff. Um, and so we were in and out of there in anywhere from you know, three to 12 weeks. Yeah. Um, and so you get, to, you get to work with a lot of different companies, a lot of different problem sets. Um, our, our practice was based out of the healthcare uh, group when mm -hmm. I started, because that's where it was with ENY, but then we were reorganized under the technology services group. And while I was there, they sent me to Paris, so I got a you know, software architect uh, training there uh, with a specialization in, in, in uh, security. Uh, which was very interesting. The company invested a lot in that kind of stuff, but at the same time, it was uh, you know early 2000s, um, and and uh, you know as many consultancies did back then, they kind of you know cut at the bottom, and so you ended up sort of an upside down hmm. uh, shape. So we struggled. Um, I, I didn't. I ended up managing the practice before I left, and I had about 25 resources, and we had more projects than we could handle, but they wouldn't let me hire anyone because I couldn't. I couldn't demonstrate where they were going to be for the next nine months. And mm. I'm like, well, they're going to be in these 10 different projects, you know, something like that is what I would typically say, but yeah. it was hard. So we ended up uh, contracting out a lot of work um, and kind of kept busy, um, but eventually that sort of just, the, the constant layoffs and the constant sort of reorging in the mm. consultancy kind of took its a toll. A churn, and, huh? Yeah, yeah. So how long were you there? Uh, just over two years. Okay. So the first year I was just you know, kind of one of the team members. And then my boss, who managed the practice, left. He went to a company called Leg Mason. And then I took over the practice and ran it for the year that I was there and then left. And we grew during that time, but uh, again, the biggest challenge was just, we had more work than we could handle. Sounds like dog years. The, you know, those two years sound Consulting like, like, like 14 years. years worth of, worth it, of experience. It truly is, yeah. And, and I, you know, since then, I've typically recommended to, to people that are getting into the business that are young and don't mind the travel. Yeah. It's a great way to, to really gain experience. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, you know, you meet people today um, that have a little bit of sort of anxiety or, 
or apprehension about talking to executives. You know, I was a senior consultant. I would be talking to CEOs and CIOs yeah. all the time. They didn't even think anything about it until uh, you know later. Uh, when I'm around other people who, who clearly have that sort of like, oh, I'm talking to the CEO now, right. uh, you, you kind of get that as a consultant, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and we did, a, we did a lot of interesting projects. Uh, you know, some of it was sort of mundane and whatnot. Um, that's where I kind of cut my teeth on HIPAA. I wrote our opinion paper on HIPAA security when the rule mm -hmm. came out. Uh, we did a lot of HIPAA work. Uh, so we were working with hospitals. We had a HIPAA working group we were part of, uh, working with hospital consortiums, you know, all up and down the East Coast. Yeah. Um, so, but it was it was a great time, and then uh, along comes an opportunity to essentially uh, do this on a contract basis as a 1099. So I started my oh, first still company. For, still for them or no? No, no, no. This yeah, okay. someone was coming on it, company here in Denver actually, uh, Dex Media. Okay. They needed like someone the, to. The yeah. directory company? The directory company, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they needed someone to kind of put their cybersecurity program in, into some sort of a shape. And, yeah. And so I did that, and uh, for about... Were you doing that from D.C. or what? No, no. Actually, uh, while I was with Capgemini is when I moved here. What, so what I was brought you here? Air quality in D.C., okay. uh, the lack of kind of outdoors uh, opportunities. You know, you've got about a two-hour drive out to the Shenandoahs if you want to go hiking. Yeah. Those are hills compared to what we have here. Of course, yeah. yeah. And then the air quality, the year that we moved out here, you know, we hit three purple days, you know, over the summer, you know, these are smog days. And so we had little kids and we're kind of like, I don't really want to live here yeah. and have kids grow up. So we looked at places, you know, Maine, Vermont, places that had more outdoorsy opportunities, even North Carolina. We came out to Colorado a little bit to check it out. My wife at the time had been here I had not, um, so we came out, we hiked, uh, you know, camped, you know, did a little bit of bed and breakfast kind of stuff, um, and then we just happened to look at some real estate, like literally our last day here, Yeah. Um, and we found our house, and so wow. we, we, we had no, like, we really didn't have a plan together, um, so we, you know, we kind of, the price was right, and, and we were kind of dealing with a realtor and saying, well, how the hell do we do this? We, our house isn't ready to go on the market, yeah. whatever. Um, month and a half later, I lived in Colorado. Wow. Best decision I ever made. Where, yeah. where did you uh, Where did you guys move to? Where's your house? So uh, Boulder. Okay. Uh, I I looked at it at the time because I was flying everywhere. It was kind of like, all right, you know, where's an airport, yeah. and what's about the longest commute I want to do to the airport. So I literally took kind of uh, you know I, uh, did a compass, circle around right? DIA. Did took a compass and, yeah. and did a circle and I said what comes and falls within that circle. Um, uh, E470 had just opened up, and mm. so that was probably a contributor. But I, you know, we looked at Golden, Arvada, uh, Parker, you yeah. know, just kind of looked around. We, I, I had, no, you know, no idea. Um, my, my wife at the time had family, but, you know, um, nothing really significant. So we kind of just moved here on a that bit of awesome. a whim. Yeah. Very cool. In fact, the, when we were doing all the closing, I was doing a project for, uh, for, uh, um, Oh, now I'm never going to remember what they're calling it. I want to say needless markups. Uh, Neiman Marcus, yeah. Uh, those guys, yeah. Hope <laughs> hopefully you won't be too annoyed. But I had a project going on there, and I kind of, you know, went out there Monday, came up here to sign the papers, back down there, back home, drove the truck out, and back there on Monday, yeah. kind of crazy. That was uh, probably one of the craziest weeks I've done. That's great. But, yeah. Well, and so that got me to Colorado. So you, then you were living here, and then you got yeah. a deal, an opportunity with Dex Media to help. Yeah put their yeah. security program in shape, and that yeah. was a short term or long term? Or uh, I think it would have been long term. So uh, Helen, um, oh, I forget her last name now. She's at Pfizer now, or was at Pfizer, but 
But uh, we, we had a great relationship, and I think I would have stayed there for a while, but Quiznos came knocking. Mm. Quiznos needed someone to manage their security practice, so I was their first. Uh, at the time, it was just called Chief Security Officer. There wasn't an I in there. Right. Um, so I was there, their uh, CISO or, or CSO for uh, almost four years. Um, and that was your full-time gig? You, that you, was my full-time gig, yeah. yeah. When you went yeah. and worked at DEX, you, you yeah. started your own business. Was that, that was, was my that own business, yeah. Rabdoll Consulting at that point? Or was that it, it was it was, an earlier yeah, iteration? It was an earlier iteration, yeah. So it was an LLC. Um, I lived close to Baseline in, in Boulder, so I called it Baseline. Uh, okay. uh, what did I call it? Baseline Security, something like that. Baseline LLC. Um, th and I still love the concept, and that's all, you know, you have to start with that baseline yeah. and measure yourself from it. Yeah. So it had a lot of sort of, you know, coolness. Um, but then uh, but then I did that for, I think, six months. Uh, that was that was the length of that contract. Um, good job. Loved, loved the guys there, yeah. working both kind of the outsourcing piece as well. They had Amdocs as their outsourcer, so there's, you know, kind of working with a service provider. Uh, to, to you know, or you think about it, you're trying to implement a security program that, that you know, all the resources are not internal, so it yeah. has to sort of stretch over them, you have to negotiate it's a vendor. It's really a vendor management process more than anything a else. A big yeah. portion of it was, yeah, working within their systems. Yeah. Um, so, but it was a good experience, but then again, it was sort of like this nice title came knocking, and I was like, well, you yeah. know, I Quiznos, well-known company, yeah. you know, chief security officer, awesome title, I'm going to do this. Uh, about three weeks in, I regretted that decision. Really? Yeah, Quiznos was... A tough company to work mm. for. Um, nice in terms of benefits and everything like that, but uh, private company did things its own way, um, and it was just it was a hard company to work. Technology for, so. probably wasn't an enabler for them necessarily. It was kind of a jan janitorial. Is that? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that, but I think it was there was a lot of lip service to stuff. So uh, you know, I, by now they've changed it, or I, I was able to change it. But my first project was to to implement the password policy. Seemed okay. pretty straightforward. Uh, prior to me joining, that actually had a company that came in and, and, and had you know basically done an assessment, and that was one of the recommendations they had. But uh, at the time when I came in, there were five passwords in the company. It was either Quiznos, sorry, three passwords in the company: Quiznos, Toasty, or mm 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 mm. <laughs> I kid you not. Everyone's password was one of those three. Um, and so the first uh, objective was to say, hey, we need a new password policy. That just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was so much harder than I thought it would be. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of it was really just trying to educate the organization on the importance of security. Yeah. Uh, we had PCI issues to deal with because, of course, we're taking credit cards. Uh, so, so doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And then literally about the last six months I was there, um, is when I felt like I, I gained the most traction. We're mm. actually finally able to implement some of the some of the things I'd been advocating. How long did you for, say you were there? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah, yeah. yeah almost four years. Um, but it was, uh, but it was, you know, my boss and I, great relationship. Um, and I say I, my boss, I reported to the CIO, and the CIO I think found me to be pretty prickly. I gave him just problems all the time, right? But my day-to-day go-to guy was a guy named uh, was a guy named Michael DeRozier. He was my VP of infrastructure, and and he and I kind of worked uh, the show together, so to speak. Yeah. So, so we every now and then I'd toss some sort of you know nasty hot potato over to the CIO, and he hated me for that. Um, but other than that, my day-to-day -day stuff, my boss was good. It was just there was weird stuff in yeah. the company, you know. Just you get that with private companies, you yeah, know. Well, that's just kind of the nature of it. Little company as well. Yeah. So, so yeah. what? 
three and a half years in, almost four yeah. years in, what, what happened? Consulting came calling, and honestly, uh, I was missing consulting. Like the, the, I, I called my time as, a, as a, an employee bondage, right? You know, you're kind of, you know, you're stuck in your seat and whatever gets piled on, you, you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas consulting, you kind of have that contract that says what you're there to do. Yeah. And so I love that. Uh, a company called North Highland came in and said, hey, you know, would you be interested? I had two uh, colleagues from, uh, from the E&Y Capgemini days that uh, had basically said, hey, you need to come over, you know. Um, it was, at the time we called it, it's where all consultants want to come and die. Mm. Uh, it's sort of a consultant's consultancy, um, where all the politics of the Accentures and the E&Ys and the KPMGs didn't exist. This was, you know, a lot of senior consultants were there. Yeah. Um, and the projects we did and, and whatnot were pretty amazing, but I, I didn't get to practice as much security as I liked. So, so I, I spent three years there. What, what years are we at now? Like uh, so now we're basically 2007 through 2010. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't really until 2009 that I did a new security project. Prior oh, to wow. that, I done I redid Core's uh, network here in the Valley mm-hmm. and also out in Shenandoah. So I did those kinds of things, DR plans, those things, but they were always sort of peripheral really to, yeah. to security. Uh, they played well to sort of my background as infrastructure and you know server type stuff, but, uh, but I missed security. And so my first project uh, for them was actually with Walt Disney. Uh, ended up traveling out to Glendale to help Walt Disney with several uh, projects. Um, and at about that time, one of my uh, reports at Capgem and I went on, he went to KPMG, but he came calling and said, hey, let's go do something together. And I said, well, uh, I need money, right, yeah. at the end of the day. So, you know, let's find a couple of projects. And we did. Um, naively, I sort of jumped into that going, yeah, we'll figure this stuff out. And, and very quickly, about two weeks in, I figured, well, uh, we should have gone through the paperwork on this arrangement before I jumped. So you, um, so you, did you guys start a new LLC for this? Or he, had, he had an LLC. Okay. So yeah, uh, uh, he's, a, he's a friend of mine. His name is uh, Greg Porter, and he's out of uh, Pittsburgh. Um, and he had an LLC. Uh, what I like to say is I couldn't really tell the difference between the company and him. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you know, cars, motorcycles, boats were kind of all bought out of the same pile. Yeah. And I kind of said, yeah, we need some structure here. You know, I, I want to know what you know, part of this company that I have and yeah. other things like that. And, and that's when it sort of broke down and there mm-hmm. wasn't really a plan. And, and, and I said, you know, let's do this. I'll start my own company. I'll just, on these projects that we already have, I'll contract back. Um, I'll go win some deals, which I did. And then, you know, when, when you've seen me perform and you're ready to do something, you know, let me know. Um, and that never really happened. You know, I, I think he wasn't ready to, to have someone share in the company. Yeah. Typical sort of founder's dilemma kind yeah, of stuff. Sure. Uh, honestly, I, I deal with that stuff even now. So that was the start of my company, and I, I sort of I reformed the company not as baseline uh, security, but as baseline digital, just trying to keep it a little bit open, um, yeah. and as an S-corp as well for, for better tax structure, basically. Mm. Um, and that was in 2010, August of 2010. So okay. I just uh, turned you know seven years last, uh, last years. sorry, eight years last yeah. uh, August here, which is pretty amazing. So initially, you know, single shingle kind of journey, um, very soon after, uh, so that was in 2010. In 2011, I landed a, a subcontract uh, deal um, through a company here in town working for DIA. Hmm. Um, so the, the CIO out there, a guy named Robert Kastelitz, um, really just wanted to know, you know, what kind of, uh, what are our risks? What should we be concerned about? And then, you know, are we in, you know, is our organization 
essentially um, uh, set, you know, or, or positioned to, to deal with that risk. So I did both a risk assessment and an org assessment. And, um, and on top of that, uh, in the fall of 2011, I, I wrote the cybersecurity budget and got mm -hmm. that approved. And we went from, you know, that, that team at the time was really just spending on coal fire compliance and some other things. So the budget was really slim. There was a lot of use of open source tools and things of that nature. And so I went in kind of swinging, asked for $9 million, and I think everyone, everyone's jaw dropped. Right. Um, but ultimately, we got the money. And so over the next um, five years, we had $9 million to spend, basically, mm. um, in, in investment projects. And uh, I spent another four years, basically, there shepherding some of those uh, projects wow. through and seeing kind of the organization change. And in my opinion, you know, evolve and, and really blossom into to what it is today. So wh who was the first CISO over there? So uh, technically, uh, well, so you have to uh, sort of recognize this is government titles. Yeah. And so the title there, uh, you know, uh, is uh, has to do with a job level and whatnot, right? Okay. Uh, and the CISO really doesn't exist. Uh, but the first, when, when I came there, a guy named Brian Monroe uh, had essentially the functional title okay. of CISO. Uh, he left, ended up going to Data Logics, which is now Oracle Data Cloud. And, um, and we hired a guy that I'd worked with at Coors, um, a guy named Chris Larrabee. Hmm. And so he was, uh, I think, you know, the next CISO or maybe, maybe the first one that was officially called a CISO. Yeah. Um, but he ended up taking on the network team about a year after he got there, I think. And then we had another guy for a while. And then, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, I think uh, Tim Coogan is probably still Tim's over there now. Yeah, yeah. Tim's still the CISO yeah. there. He's been there for a few years, right? Uh, he's yeah. It's got to have been. I think it's maybe for five years. But mm -hmm. Tim was part of the team when I first got there. Hmm. Okay, so yeah. he was already there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I, I met Tim when he was essentially a security engineer. Mm -hmm. um, and then pretty much everyone else that was part of that team, I think Tim is the, the oldest one there now. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you did that for, are you, are you still working with those guys? No, I, I'm not. Uh, no, so I did that for about four years. Um, and this is about the time where I was like, all right, I'm done with a single shingle thing. I'm going to grow a business. Yeah. And so I started taking on other clients, uh, trying to expand projects and then bring, you know, 1099 uh, contract resources onto those. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really, that's kind of still my, that's still what I'm doing. It's really growing the company. Yeah. Um, and, and we used to do everything, like anything security, hey, you know, we're on it, you know, kind of like flies on shit, I guess. Um, but, but we, you know, anything secured in. And since then, probably last three years, we've been sort of narrowing to say this is really who we are. Uh, where we like to play is uh, in that security advisor role, so where yeah. we can help shape uh, programs. Uh, you know, we'll often do, I call them remedial projects, but things that you know we, we identify weaknesses third-party risk is one that we see quite a bit so we'll help build a third-party risk uh, program for them um, but typically it's coming in and helping them kind of put their arms around it and saying okay um, you know what do we do here how do we how do we make this uh, into a solid program that's based on risk uh, data driven uh, you know tied typically to a framework yeah. uh, and so on and so forth and that's really where we play well I think awesome we come in and yeah help organizations kind of get their get so their stuff in so order. people who are either uh, you know lacking maturity who are looking to help get to the next step or people who are yep. mature who need some help for project work sounds like that's yep. kind of yep. up your alley yep. yeah cool I'm trying to remember when we met was it 
didn't we both volunteered for B-sides back? Is that what it was? I'm actually, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So, so this was, uh, this was, was it 2011, 2012? 2010, 2011, something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. I yeah. know Chris Nickerson put on, I think, the very first B-sides here in Denver. It wasn't Jobo helping him do that? Yeah, it was you, Jobo, a uh, few I others. wasn't there for the first, I, I came to the first one and attended it, but I was not helping No, but then it. there was a year that went by. It was a gap year. following year is the that's one when that we, got we put involved. on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it was. So yeah, that's where we got So how did you get involved in the community? I mean, I, by, at that point, you already knew those guys, right? And I think I just sent a note like, hey, I want to help because because we missed yeah. a year, I'm like, well, what? let's not miss another year. Yeah, I, I hope I'm not taking credit from, from someone, but I'd been, a friend of mine organized the B-Sides in Austin. And so I kind of came back energized from the Austin conference, I think in 2011. And I was like, you know, what's going on with Denver? So I reached out yeah. to find out who had done it, and it, it seemed like it had been done just that one time. And so I think I just started pinging people and yeah. I can't really remember. We had Jeff help us too. Yeah, Jeff and, yeah. and I think he's helped many years. Yeah, yeah. I know some, some people kept doing it. I, I, yeah. I did it two yeah. or three years and then I was No, I was done, I, and but. I, I kind of dropped off I think after about three yeah. years myself. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's a, I think the, the great thing about those community initiatives is like people come and go yeah. and, and you bring new blood in and, and introduce people. But I mean, it went from that one event which we did at, at Alchemy, yeah. Security Alchemy, to where we had to get a bigger place the next year, and then it's really just continued it's to been, grow. It's so been it's, huge, yeah. Like, yeah, they, so it's Last cool. year, they, they really yeah. had a problem last year. Like, I know, there's not yeah. enough room for it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and that almost seems to have been the case every year. I remember, I think there was the second year where, you know, we, we had a limited number of tickets, and yeah. we were sold out. Everyone hates that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do, right? Like, a bunch of volunteers putting on a meeting, we get a lot of yeah. shit no matter yeah. what we do. But that, that was probably the most fun in terms of those kinds of events. Yeah. Uh, very rewarding for sure. So, um, so how did you uh, like get into the community at all? Like, was it just like go to meetups or? or? A lot of it has been that, uh, you know, and, and just just networking and whatnot, and yeah. kind of going to the Armisk uh, mm -hmm. uh, conference and, and whatnot, and then and then you know Secure World and and some of these other events as well. Yeah. Um, I branched out, and I'll go to more targeted conferences these days. So. Uh, we, we, we target three industries, retail, healthcare, and finance, and yeah. then, you know, kind of energy is here in town, so we do a bit of that too. But we're going to a conference uh, in 2019 that's geared towards rural hospitals. Hmm. Um, Where's that? So, uh, so it's going to be in Phoenix, um, but it's basically all what they call critical access hospitals. So if you, if you take Colorado and you look at, you know, we've got a bunch of hospitals, obviously, here in Denver. Uh, but once you get out in the boonies, you get what's called a critical access hospital. So they're smaller. Um, and uh, uh, you know they serve a community. So typically, people are driving maybe an hour, two hours to this hospital, yeah. and then whatever town it's in. Um, but but they're not driving that distance to get to Denver, right? right? So so if they need something, you know, that specialty, then typically they'll do a flight for life into Denver. But you know, you need hospitals in the rural areas. So Colorado has uh, some thirty something. Uh, next door to us is Kansas that has about. 50 plus wow. uh, critical access or smaller hospitals. Yeah. Um, and it's really true for all the states around us. And I kind of look at, you know, we start in Colorado, but the, the, the states that surround us are great markets for us. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at that, and, and that particular industry, you know, they're not getting the best cybersecurity experts, uh, yeah. you know, in a little town like Colby, Kansas, right? So they struggle. Uh, they're barely kind of doing their IT functions, and so it's a, it's a good market for us to kind of come in and help. And yeah. So we do, you know, uh, regulatory assessments. They t they typically have HIPAA, PCI, uh, maybe some other thing, and then really just look at best practice security. 
Um, we've done a lot of ransomware kind of recovery type stuff for, for these organizations. But, um, but anyway, so uh, uh, financial conferences as well. Um, we've spoken at several. Um, there's an organization here in town that puts on a conference for banks. So they're a, a banker's bank, if you wish. They're the pipes between the feds and the, mm -hmm. and the community banks. And so banker's Bank of the West, is that the one you're talking about? That's one of them, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and they put on a conference, and so we've spoken at that a couple of times. And it's really just more direct to these community banks, uh, for example. Um, and then also uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, uh, at the the financial uh, or the, what's it called again, uh, the financial health managers conference. Mm -hmm. um, so trying to get outside of where it's like super dense right. security. Don't just talk to the security people about. Don't security. talk to security, right. but talk to the people that really need it. Yeah, that's great. Um, and and we've experienced kind of better connections really there because people are very interested in, and they're typically there to focus on whatever their job is. And so security is something a little bit different, and yeah. so they're interested. But there too, we're seeing you know the the vendors are showing up now they didn't used to, yeah. um, and so we're seeing you know that they're getting busier. Mm. Uh, and obviously, security is something that everyone's concerned about. Yeah. Uh, most recently, we've been investing and in spending time even in IoT. We think that's going to be a very very interesting mm. space. And and the question is, you know, do you jump on right now? Are you at the top of the wave, or are you going to be left behind? It's kind of hard right. to tell, but. But it'll be a very, very interesting space. Yeah. You know, just the amount of data, uh, the amount of connectivity, and of course, everything is just you know, launch it and we'll think about security afterwards. Yeah, nothing new, right? We That's did this it, in the '90s. You know, we've yeah. always done that. Right? We've always yeah. done that. In fact, I don't know. At one of the B sides I was at, you know, there's. When you get together with security people, I think we, we sometimes have the tendency to start talking about, oh, you know, if they'd only listen to us, right? Um, but but they don't. The business kind of doesn't, right? They listen a little bit, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I don't know why we should complain about that. We're giving good advice. Uh, it's advice. They can choose yeah. not to take it. And if they took and did everything we asked them to do, we'd be out of a job, right? The fact that they oh, don't... They'd, they'd still get hacked. Come on. No, no. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you that, right? But, but, uh, but the reality is, because they don't do everything we right. ask them we to... We still have a job? We still have a job, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very simplistic, but yeah. yeah. But I, I joke. I was like, "Don't be jaded. Don't yeah. don't complain about it." You know. So, what's your 2019 schedule? What do you what do you not not for so, events, but like what are you focusing on next year? So we're doing something very different. Um, we've actually well, today is when I sign the paper, but we're going to do a, a e-commerce site for B two B, and we're going to sell certain services. We're productizing our services hmm. and selling them through a shopping cart. So it's a big it's a big. Wow. Uh, it's a big experiment. That seems to be quite risky. Honest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's here's the philosophy or thinking behind it anyway. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I kind of go from I do pen tests for enterprise organizations, big big companies, but we also do pen tests for the small guys. Yeah. And honestly, the sales cycle is almost the same. And I always feel like it's a it's a lot of money that we're asking for these guys for pen tests. So we've we've designed a box that can essentially do most of what we do uh, when we physically come on site. Uh, and, and it's you know basically scripts that are kicking off other scripts, collecting data, feeding them back into tools, and so on and so forth. But we think that what we can do is basically deploy this box. You know, UPS it then the very next day. You you hit hit that shopping cart. That box is going to go the next day, um, and and then have essentially guys sort of your typical pen testing lab. Many companies have done this in the past, where you've got guys remoting into networks and, and they're working multiple yeah. you know customers at the same time or clients at the same time. Um, but but now we're going to turn this over and, and really kind of make it simple. Like this is what you get. Uh, there's no 
sales call where we sit and negotiate you know what, what you yeah. need it's kind of a here's a fixed service you pay for it with a credit card or a PO and this all exists uh, the the shopping cart exists um, the, the scope of work and, and terms are all part of that whole whole you know shopping experience uh, if you wish and uh, yeah and you push the button and, and it's amazing we send a device it's off. amazing You're and then we this. have a guy that basically will you know uh, connect to that, or the box phone's home, but it'll connect into the device and do a few other things. So, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I want to be clear about is we're not offering the same pen testing service for that price point. Like, this is a, you know, call it, you know, it's Reduce much code. better than a vulnerability scan. It's yeah. more than, way more than that, but it's also much more reliant on automated sure. uh, activities. Yeah. And then the other thing that we're putting in this shopping cart are policies. Um, we started selling tools last year, so we'll put some of the tools that we sell uh, in uh, in the shopping cart as well. And then pretty much we've gone through all the services that we typically do and productize them, meaning we can say, here's what you get. It's, it's a fixed uh, price point, fixed mm. outcomes. So it's less consultative. And in turn, what we get to do is we, we can you know do this re more repetitively and bring down the price point. Um, and now what we're doing is we're offering solutions to smaller businesses, the SMB space, up to two, 3,000 employees um, that typically uh, will maybe do one pen test every three years. Um, but for that price, we can get them a pen test every year yeah. and so on and so forth. So it's going to be very interesting. The, the company that we're using for this is a company called Inception with an X. Hmm. Um, and they, they've built this uh, UPS as a partner. So as part of the whole process, when we ship a box, there's a label, just gets printed out, you know, dropped, and UPS picks it up the next day. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they looked at this, they, you know, a bunch of investors behind this company and whatnot, but they looked at it and said, you know, Atlassian has been able to sell Jira and other products with no sales staff. It's all shopping cart. And, and they think this is really where the economy is going. And on the back end, Got to have a little bit of uh, got to have a little bit of um, uh, blockchain. So there's a there's a blockchain <laughs> component to this as well. We're we gonna get through a whole episode without talking about blockchain. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yep. Um, so so there's a component to that which which will allow us to do some uh, let's say trading of services um, using uh, a different kind of uh, currency uh, effectively down the road. So very interesting stuff. Um, we're excited about it, and we think it's a way for us to reach a, a larger market, and particularly kind of the underserved market. Yeah. So if you think about, uh, you know, go from the, the super enterprises to the, the SMB space, the SMB space is growing the fastest, and it's also where your big companies really struggle to provide services, right, for the same reasons I do, right? It takes just as long to get a sale signed. Um, yeah. So, you know, you're probably, you know, if you're Optive, you're probably leaving deals, you know, that are under hundred thousand. Like they're not even just chasing those. Because, because, yeah, because of all yeah. the churn around around the deal. Yeah. That's oh great. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and I think that's true of you know large companies. So, um, so so we're thinking the more we can commoditize services and make them easy to buy, and again, kind of box them in a little bit. Yeah. But we 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 do want to make sure that they don't think they're getting the same thing as like an enterprise, you know. Yeah. But but it's it's laid out there, so we'll see how it goes. Right. Yeah. I think that one of the risks there is that you're. You know, you're making it easier for the checkbox mentality for pen testing. Most certainly. Oh yeah. That which I you know is yeah. I think all, most of the folks yeah. in, in the business are, are not fans of that mentality. Yeah. However, yeah. it is out there, right? Yeah, and, and I would agree. I mean, I, many organizations. One of the first things we often do is some sort of an assessment. Very often a maturity assessment. Yeah. And and big companies, 
and small companies typically are kind of compliance oriented when we come in. Um, and so they're already doing the checkbox. In fact, sometimes they're doing it very poorly. It's a lot of sort of sleight of hand and, and you know, don't look at the, the wizard behind the curtain here. You know, just, you know, auditor, just buy what I'm telling you kind of stuff. Right. Um, so I, so I, think, I think that's where we are. And this is an opportunity for us to kind of go in and say, yeah, let's, let's meet the checkbox. But we do find stuff, right? Mm -hmm. There are things that they otherwise wouldn't have found. Um, that could lead to ransomware and, uh, and other other things and then now we're engaged with these organizations and we can start kind of thinking uh, or, or helping them change their mentality around security but but they all struggle they don't have time for this so so first they need to engage and that first whether it's a regulatory risk assessment or a pen test kind of gets that conversation right. started uh, with every pen test we always put in a roadmap so it might seem strange that when you're doing a pen test where you're kind of finding there's a you know, hole here, a patch missing there, that you kind of get to a roadmap. But one of the things I like about what we do is, is um, we kind of look at the findings themselves and try to analyze why did they even, why did we get these findings? Why is a patch missing? Right. And it's not, it's not that the patch is missing because, you know, uh, typically anyway, that that the business said, oh, you can't apply that patch. It's probably because their patch management program just is is, there, yeah. is not very solid. Right. So those are the kinds of findings that we try to, to sort of read between the lines of the Pendest findings, yeah. and then we lay that out on a roadmap. So we're always kind of thinking like, or, or, or sort of bringing to the table this, you know, here, here are these issues, go fix them, right. but there's some more important things, and that's to fix your processes. Yeah. And that's where we then ultimately engage with a more consulting-oriented engagement and Fantastic. help them. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, we are, we're coming close to the end of time yeah. here. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have one more question for you. Uh -huh. So I, you know, in my MBA program, I do a report about a com about a, uh, one country, and we did Norway. And one of the things oh, I learned funny. about Norway was it's the happiest country in the world. So yeah. now I have to ask you, why would you leave the happiest country in the world? So this is a this is a question I get asked a lot, and I ask myself the same question, particularly when I go home. Uh, so I'll go home about every two to three years or something and visit. And and you know, the happiest is only one thing. I mean, prosperous. Yeah. Uh, you know, healthcare. I tell people that you know, if, if my kids lived in Norway, they have a dentist in their school, so your dental costs are covered until you're 18. When I first moved to the states, I you know, I'm in college, right, and I see all these college kids. I mean, these are you know, anywhere from like 19 to mid 20s with braces, and I was like, that's so weird for me to see because everyone has braces when they're like 9 to 12 yeah. in Norway because it's done in school. Yeah. Here they do it when they can afford it, which yeah. is often when they're a little bit older. So uh, for those who don't know, and I'm sure you, you're well aware, <laughs> those who don't know, Norway has these massive natural resources off the coast, this huge natural gas. You know, oil. Oil, 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 yeah. Mostly oil. Yeah. And, and as are, all of the funds from that natural resources goes into like a national fund, yeah. it's right? The largest, like, largest rainy day fund in the world. Yeah, yeah. and so they, they fund all of this stuff through this natural well 50% of it goes to a rainy day fund it's untouched it's just invested yeah and so every Norwegian has approximately two to three million dollars attached to their head it's in this amazing. fund amazing. Right? every Norwegian and there's there's uh, something like I don't know we're coming up on six million now when I left we were just under four yeah. um, you know there's lots of politics about how that's invested and whatnot but that's you know in the 70s when or 60s when Norway struck oil you know uh, because it's a very, you know, you talk about European management styles, that's Norway to a T. So a bunch of smart people came together and said, how, you know, how, what should we do with all this money that we're going to make? Yeah. And the decision was made, we need to put half of it away and okay. just leave it and not invest it. 
uh, if you look at you know countries in the Middle East, they they use that money and they invest it back into their own economy. And what happens when the when the oil market drops? Well, those countries really struggled, and we saw that you know in in uh, 07, 08, um, and then mm -hmm. again, uh, you know, not too long ago here, just in. Um, uh, what was that now, 2015, 2016? Yeah. You saw these countries really struggle because they're so dependent on the oil economy. Norway chose not to do that, and so instead they put it in there. And of course, you know, they, they're making lots of money on the oil as well. But we have other natural resources. We produce a lot of electricity through, yeah. through damming up rivers, which probably we couldn't do today. Yeah. Um, and then also very rich in, in bauxite, and, and you know, basically we can produce alum, uh, aluminum, uh, or aluminum, excuse me, there's my English coming in. Uh, aluminum and uh, and magnesium also from seawater. So yeah, and then fisheries so, and so stuff it, so like that. So yeah. all of this is a lot of reasons you would be living in Norway. So what, why are you not living in Norway? It, so Norway has a sort of a policy, if you wish, of evening things out. When I was a truck driver uh, delivering soda pop to stores, I made as much as a doctor does in Norway. Wow. And if a doctor wants to work 45 hours, they're taxed at 150 percent the, the the regular tax rate for the the hours of overtime. So so it has sort of a way of not letting anyone get too far ahead. Yeah. Um, and and no one is left behind either. If you're a single mom, you know whatever the the, the government will put you up in an apartment and a stipend. So you know even if you don't have a job, you'll be fine and mm. you'll eat healthy and whatnot. So there's a big, big safety net, yeah. um, but at the same time, it's really hard to kind of get ahead. So starting a small business in Norway is super tough. Mm. And then the other thing is, you know, Norway is not part of the, the European Union. It's, it's, it's part of a sort of union of countries or group of countries that have very lax, uh, you know, uh, regulations or tariffs, if you wish, with the European Union, but it's not part of the European Union. So if you think about it, if I start with a product here in Colorado, I've got a marketplace of you know almost 400 million yeah. like right here, and it's it's very easy. If you were you know producing a consumer type product, you can get it to everyone in this country. Yeah. Um, if you're in Norway, you've got a much smaller you know you've got six, six million, million people, people yeah. um, and then to get it to Sweden is a little bit harder, and to get it into Europe's a little bit harder. And oh by the way, the language has changed, yeah. so now you got to have language and stuff like that. So the marketplace here is easier, and it's just you know. Uh, it takes about five minutes to start a company in Colorado. Uh, in Norway, it's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. It's just more regulated, yeah. right? For good and for bad. Um, but but I toy around with it all the time. I, I'll probably end up moving there again at some point in time. Uh, my kids love it. My oldest son is actually coming from Norway tomorrow. He's going to school there right now. Yeah. So he uh, he is 18, and he decided to do an exchange year uh, as part of his junior high school year. Okay. Uh, so he went there. He's going to a, an international school in a tiny little town called Sandefjord. Um, and there's, I think there's like 150 students or something in a school. Wow, it's a small school. Uh, and he had his own apartment. This is as a junior That's, in high school. Holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, my parents, I, my, my parents are divorced, but they're both about two and a half hours away. And my sister also lives in Norway and she's yeah. in a different direction. Um, but he basically did that all on his own. Wow. And then when he came back for the summer, he's like, I, I want to finish my high school there. So he's finishing there. He'll be showing up to, tomorrow, uh, but he loves it. And of course, you know, he speaks Norwegian yeah. now and everything. Awesome. About a year and a half, so. Well, yeah. this, has been, this has been really fun. We, we've, uh, we've, gone, we've gone long, which is no problem, but <laughs> it's been too much fun to stop. Any final stuff you want to say to the listeners before we, uh, before we call it a show? 
No, not really. I think just you know enjoy a enjoy a great 2019. Yeah. I think awesome. we're gonna we're gonna have a great year. Kill it. Yeah, cool. totally. Thanks, Steve. All right, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Uh, thank Thanks you for your time. Guys. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.